Hey, welcome to Pittsburgh Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Rob. And welcome to episode two. All right, uh, today we are going to talk about uh, a couple things. What's on the What's on the docket? Oh, uh, what's on the docket? The docket. Well, I think one of the things listening back on last episode of the podcast is we, we talked about you know first stages of home brewing and kind of why we got into it a little bit, but we didn't really talk about what home brewing is. I think we had an assumed level of knowledge to our listeners. Sure. And uh, I think it might be a good idea to you know you know kind of broad stroke it and kind of lay out what home brewing is a little bit. That's a good way to start. Yeah, so um, just kind of give you guys an idea of, of the brewing process. And obviously we're going to be uploading kind of episodes reviewing kind of the major steps in this process. But uh, this is just kind of an intent to give you, the like Adam said, broad strokes, give you an outline of, of what it entails. It's not intended to be a DIY. There's plenty of like actual instructional guides out there to doing it we are definitely hardly experts no as as you probably figured out from the first episode (laughs) no so um so the the what is happening on brew day what is the main thing we're setting up on brew day that we did last week so yeah brew day if you will is the initial preparation for the real creation of the beer and the real creation of the beer i would say is the fermentation process sure Okay. So Brude is preparing everything up to adding the yeast, which if you aren't familiar with what yeast is, it's 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 a live germ. You're 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 introducing something living when you're creating beer. Right. And that's what takes the sugars from your wort and breaks it down into alcohol and is the process of turning what is basically grain soup into beer. And that grain soup is is the wort, yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and while I'm not an expert in in yeast or microbiology, but essentially the yeast is eating the wort and pooping out alcohol. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's what we love in civilization. Founded <laughs> on gentlemen is yeast poop. <laughs> and then the yeast dies, and you have a bunch of crap at the bottom of the barrel. That you don't drink because it's kind of nasty. Yeah, homebrew you always get a little bit of residue in there, but uh, okay. you, you can eliminate some of that with, uh, with with sifting and just well, you throw you you end up losing a little bit of the of the beer in the process. Sure. Uh, bigger, you know, microbreweries, craft breweries, large bullshit breweries. <laughs> they they have a very standardized process that eliminates waste and creates a, a stable and uh, very controlled like product. Uh, home brewing is a little bit more devil may care, with sure. Uh, but the results are pretty interesting from what we've seen so far. And uh, and and the idea of these, I mean, like you said, yeast is a living, you know, organism in our beer, and and part of the process is that organism, you know, doing its thing, and and that's kind of where the sanitation aspect. Yeah, you want to keep that uninterrupted. So there are wild like yeasts and, and germs and bacteria in our air all around. And when some of those are in, a lot of those don't taste very good into the process. So, so the whole focus of sanitation throughout it, like it sounds like, oh, you're being like super, like if you, if you read through it and you see how many steps are just clean everything and say, you're like, ah, it's fine. It's clean. No, because it's not about, you know, dirt or residue. It's about, you know, 
bacteria. Right. Because unlike refrigeration or freezing or other processes when you're keeping things for a long period of time, you're taking all these, you know, bacteria and other microorganisms out of their ideal grow zones. Well, beer fermentation, you're keeping it in that perfect zone. Right. So whatever's in there is going to fester. Yeah. Now, the beer yeast is what you need to create a very good tasting beer. But when you have foreign things in there, that's how you're going to get something pretty messed up. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's a good summary of the fermentation process. Yeah. Um, one, now, we can dial this back to brew day if you want and kind of go through this step by step. I don't think it's necessary to go too deep in that. All right, never not. mind. We're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, I mean, if you want. I mean, the wart, eh, we, we talked a little bit about how you have the wart, and again, the wart is basically this the stew of ingredients that is the food for the yeast. Yeah. And obviously, it lends some flavor of its own accord, but yeah, also yeah, I mean, it, how it, the yeast processes that wart. Yeah. becomes a different flavor as well. Yeah, and, and if you, when you get into the process, you'll find that like using uh, different uh, malts and grains for the wort impacts the flavor. Uh, varieties of hops and amount of hops. Hops is not required for beer, but I think it's required for good tasting beer right. for, the mo- for the most part. <laughs> for the most part. Uh, that's what uh, people like these days. That's what I like. Yeah. yeah. All um, the hops. Just now from it. there, so you're firm fermenting but that fermenting happens at least in a homebrew situation it's it's all together but then it also continues to ferment in the bottle right as well or not necessarily there's something happening in the bottling process what um what's kind of the intent of the bottling process uh the bottling process it, it is finishing developing but you're adding priming sugars as well okay uh so the that those extra sugars will cause the carbonation process to occur during right. the bottle stage so right now so during the fermentation the first fermentation uh, sequence one that's kind of all in a big vat or what you know carbon so you have active yeast going on during right. your first or even possibly if you're doing a double uh double stage uh fermentation there, there's still yeast going on there's still working on the beer by the time you get to bottling uh you shouldn't have any more active yeast that it'll have already gone through that process uh but it still is settling finalizing carbonating uh by adding the priming sugar it's kind of like resting a steak so if i'm grilling if i'm understanding this correctly um there's a lot of so not only are they pooping out alcohol, those little yeasts, mm-hmm. but there is also a an off gassing kind of process where it's it's kind of bubbling. It's it's yeah, it's, Ga- gases are released. Gases as part are being the, released, uh, and so process. the first part of fermentation, we're just letting those gases go. That's why we have the fermentation lock on there. Yes, but later we add a little bit more sugar to mm-hmm. each bottle, and now we cap it, and instead of the gases being off gas, they become carbonation. Is that kind of that the problem from that someone that makes sense from the way you explain him from what my knowledge yeah that sounds yeah. It sounds about right okay so yeah i mean that's and then at the end of whatever time is required it becomes i mean it basically completely dies down and now you have drinkable beer after about what a month depending on what yeah I, I think the fastest rep recipe i've seen is like a three-week sure. process two weeks one batch fermentation and then one week bottling. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Cool. The, what what affects how alcoholic it gets? Do you know? I'm, I'm not familiar with this. Uh, so the amount of sugar for, for the yeast to interact with is a big part of it. Okay. Um, and you'll see that that's measured. I explained the last one by gravity. Right. Which is the change in density because obviously alcohol has different weights than the, the sugars that were initially in the, in the liquid. Makes sense. So, uh, so Rob, you've been having our car boy in your basement. Yep. Uh, how's it doing? You know, anything crazy happen? You know, over the last week. Well, so it's been a week since uh, brewing day, or is that what you call the first day? Brew day. Brew day. Yeah. And I had work trip for. Uh, let's see where I was gone for four days, five days, and so we brewed on Monday. I was leaving on Wednesday, and I left like kind of later in the day for my work trip. So that morning, I decided, oh, I'll go check on the carboy. I get down there, and the fermentation lock is like three feet away on the floor. No. And there's the carboy's off. You know, there's nothing on top of the carboy. And when I say the fermentation lock, that includes the rubber stopper. It blown off. It had blown. It was gone. Yeah. But what happened to the beer? Like, how much did we lose some? We of the lost beer? like. At least a third of the beer. What? Yeah. Which was really confusing at first because there was no, like, real evidence of, like, the explosive power that popped that top off. There was no splash beer anywhere. Uh, I guess it had enough pressure to blow the top off, and then from there, more or less fizzled over the top. But isn't the fermentation lock supposed to allow those gases to release itself? That's exactly what the fermentation lock is supposed to do. I really don't know what happened. I, I opened up the fermentation lock, and it was completely clogged with, I don't know, crap. So the I'm looking, I'm looking it up right now, and it says in certain cases when something like this is supposed to happen, you use a blow-off hose oh, to allow the yes. draining yes. of... Uh, of some of that excess beer to prevent, you know, the fermentation lock from getting Yeah, so, and basically all that is 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 a larger version of a fermentation lock that has more wiggle room for the extra blow-off beer. Um, I didn't know that was supposed to be what we used. I didn't know... What are the circumstances that cause you? Is it is well, it because we overfilled it? Is it because well, of the temperature? I think I I look you know looking right now. I think the temperature was uh, was definitely a factor. You know, we were talking about how hard it was to get our beer down to the certain temp for sure. because it was a really hot day. Yeah, like, we, we were in the eighties. You know, yeah, and you know your basement, and your whole house is you know on you know not controlled right controlled air. So uh, you know. High heat was a factor, and I, I, I'm sure the recipe contributed. You know, we did a, you know, triple hopped IPA for our first go. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of things kicking around in there. So yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, we, we aren't going to need to struggle to get you know 50 cans of or 50 bottles of beer to bottle. No, we won't. We're, be we'll cut back a little near. bit there. Um, first, first ba- small batch, small batch. Yeah, small batch, exactly. Now, I do have a. Uh, a slight confession to make when I uh, first texted you about this incident I said I mean I hadn't checked it in a day the truth was I hadn't checked it since we brewed it <gasps> so it was like I, I, I two assumed, days I assumed actually <laughs> I, di- I didn't I didn't put out there that well I might have put out there but I don't know if I emphasized that hey just so you know it's going to be really active for a couple of days. Right. The first two days is when it's... So, like, you should watch it. 
I didn't. Re- I yeah. So I didn't make the connection of activity and like keep an eye on it. Yeah. Obviously. Now now we know. Okay. We're making something gnarly. It, it might explode yeah. on us. Yeah. That's, so it's a factor. Um. So yeah, damage control. I uh, took, cleaned everything off, and I sanitized everything. I actually went back and re-sanitized just like the neck of the carboy as well. Oh, dope! And that's, um, that's helpful. Hopefully that rescues it. You know, I, I, I immediately went online. So there's like, what happened? You know, why did this happen? You know, and uh, found like a forum on Beer Advocate. I think we were probably both looking at the same forum, and. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, advice, it was our maybe. baby. Well, yeah. I mean, it had to go into panic mode. Right? Yeah. And uh, and I still got to work on time, so it worked out. Woo! All right. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that was a close call early on, but lessons learned, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Uh, watch your beer. All right. So uh, this is a podcast. So obviously, we've got um, some type of recording setup. We got technology that we need to use to produce this, distribute it, stuff like that. Um, and both of us are in jobs where we need kind of portable productivity. Yeah, right? I was going to say that's kind of where this conversation really started because I told you, A, I need a new laptop because I don't really have a very mobile setup right now. I have a like a 17-inch like MSI like gaming laptop. I'm like, that's not very appropriate yeah. to you know, carry around in the office and slap I mean, half down. the backpacks you can buy, it probably doesn't even fit in. I mean, it takes up like my whole backpack. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not that's not completely reasonable for actually like doing work on the go. No, not at all. So we started talking, uh, and this has been an ongoing conversation. But um, I don't know, kind of lay out besides productivity, what is kind of something you look for in a laptop? I guess besides portability, what's something? You well, I think it kind of depends on like what your situation. So for me, like I have the secondary computer source, um, but I've actually, I've always been attracted to really small laptops. Like, yeah. I've had like 15 inch ones are fine. If it's like, it's mostly sitting on your desk or like you need some sort of bit, like it's like that middle ground area. Yeah. But uh, for me, I've always loved, like I had like a, I'm trying to remember what the size was. I think it was like a 13 inch Chromebook. Yeah. That I used to use like forever, like a launch Chromebook, and it was great. Yeah. Um. Now I don't think that Chrome OS is really going to meet my demands right now, but I, you know that's really the kind of size frame I'm looking at. But today there's so many more avenues in there because you don't just have small laptops. You have you have tablets. You have two in ones. Yep. You know there's there's a lot of saturation in that market. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think. Um... I mean, just for like our, for for some perspective, I my two primary computing devices. I've got a desktop at home that can do all kinds of processing. You know, it's mainly made for gaming, but it can do other stuff, video editing stuff like that. Um, but when I'm on the go, I use a Surface Three, which at this point, I guess, is like a three-year-old device. Um, but for this size, it's like a 10.6 inch tablet hybrid device. Um, I still haven't seen anything comparable. The closest thing that's come to this, from at least for what I need, I, I like having Windows. There's certain a- applications I use, certain use cases that I need Windows. Um, and the only th- the only thing that's come close is like a Galaxy. I think it's called the Galaxy Book Pro or something like that. Which is not as common as you think. I actually went into a local uh, like. 
like Best Buy store because like you can review these things online, you can read the stats, you can look at videos, but like sometimes like you want to see the hardware like yeah. in your hands. I'm like, For oh sure. So I, I was I was over at the Surface section. I, I was checking out the new Surface Pro. Uh, it's pretty. It's, yes, it it's, is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's nice. Uh, and I was like, hey. You know, I'd love to see, you know, the, the same, you guys have that. And they were like, uh, and they're like, look, they're like, no, we don't have that in the store right now. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't, I don't really understand. I, the only thing I can think of is like the iPad and iPad pro have kind of just dominated the 10 inch ish tablet space. Well, I mean the big one, like the 10 inch galaxy book is even the lesser one like they have sure. a, the high performing ones the 12 inch and they don't even which have is that a direct yeah no they didn't have that at all wow now i would say that i think samsung's relationship with like because they had whole area to the new uh tab s3 sure uh which is their uh premium android tablet which even in some of the reviews i read were like do we really need large you know high quality android tablets when you have the ipad and you have the surface so it's like but I think that Samsung is definitely doubling down on the Android operating system. Yeah. Which I, I love the Android operating system. I, I think it's very clean. It works well. It has a lot of customization. Now, there's still... I I haven't used the, like, the Microsoft suite with the Android system. And to my understanding, while it is available, there's some... Um, so, some uh, ability is like curtailed from yeah. them. Yeah. I bit. mean... I haven't used it much either. The most I've done, I've, I have the Office apps on my phone, but it's a phone, and I don't have Office 365, so that um, a lot of the capability on the mobile apps, or at least the Android apps, involves the cloud. You need the Office 365 right. subscription. So, like, you know, I can do basic stuff on it. Um, I at least can view files, and yeah. but again, I've never used it on a tablet, so I, re- I really don't know what that would be like. Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a fairly large phone. I have the Note Eight, so when I, part of the reason why I bought it was like, oh, this kind of like bridges the gap. I don't need a tablet when I have a very large phone, and that'd be true for everything except for like, I think it'd be very weird in a meeting to like set your phone in the stand with your keyboard and, and it's like, oh no, we're not we're <laughs> yeah. not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, you know Android. I think has done yeah. Chrome OS can now run Android apps, kind of. Getting there. It's getting there. I, but but most Chrome OS laptops are running a processor that's not common in phones, and therefore there's this compatibility gap there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, I mean, a while ago I was like, well, Chrome and Android is eventually going to, like, I mean, I think I originally predicted that Chrome OS was going to go away, and now it's looking like it's more of like, hitting a middle ground but they, no one's really exceeded like no one's gotten that quite right yet like Samsung yeah. and Google like Google the Pixel book apparently does it pretty well but for like a thousand dollar Chromebook yeah it should be able to run these <laughs> offline apps like I mean yeah that's the whole pitch yeah uh, so and even then like you know the reviews from like you know major tech blogs like you know the Verge or there's still you know, they're, 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 there's still issues I mean um Again, like because it's running on a different processor, even though it's super powerful, because it's not a Snapdragon or whatever is in the latest phones, it's not great at all. Android apps, some Android apps you can't even install on it because it doesn't. They don't. They the developers haven't put that yeah. compatibility in there. I'm not super like I am 
like consumer level, like someone knowledgeable about tech, but when, yeah. you, when you break into the actual uh, cuting and the coding and stuff like that, I'm not that knowledgeable sure. of a person. But I find it so interesting how, you know, I in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, code, computer, every computer. No, it's like it actually really is really t- hardware and software are a lot more intimately tied than I yeah. thought. Yeah. And I mean, that's where. I mean, you can say whatever you will about Apple, you know, how it stands compared to competitors today, but that's one advantage they've always had is by, you know, making their own stuff and, you know, only having their code on it and not having to, like, you know, appeal to different makers. Like, everything always works generally really well. Yeah, and, and like, that's... I agree. That's a huge, a huge strength of Apple's, and uh, you can argue that's sort of what Microsoft is like. This both the service and the Pixel Book are Google and Microsoft answer that is like, oh well, we're yeah. gonna make hardware too. Yeah, that worked optimally really well with our software. Yeah, but they still have they're to. They're new to it. it. You know, they're yeah. not. They haven't been doing it for their entire existence, like I mean, Apple has. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, like Apple, I I think they're completely failing in their like their Mac business, like. Mac OS, from what I understand, it's getting some good updates. But, like, the Mac hardware business is just, it's years behind the rest of the industry. And their, uh, I mean, their latest innovation that I know, when they, they introduced the Touch Bar last year, the year before, and, like, everyone hates the Touch Bar. Like, no I mean, one I know <laughs> likes that. Why would you, I, like, no hardware escape button on the touch, because it's on the Touch Bar. Like, like that just seems so weird to me. You know, and, cutting uh, down on ports. Everyone loves their ports, man. Yeah, um, you know, that, and that, yeah, ports is a, yeah. So, but I mean, to be fair, mm, yeah, Apple's Apple's mission is moving towards this. Like, like Apple is what I see is like they consider themselves a very progressive company, not in political terms, but like in the terms of like they want to drive the conversation and they yeah. will make changes to do that, eliminating. The uh, headphone jack was a step, I think, because they finally implement, implemented uh, wireless charging on their phones. I could see them losing the uh, the Thunderpolar port. Yeah, the, the charge the port, port is going to go yeah. away yeah. as well, too. They want no ports. They want no openings in their phone. You know, they, they see this, you know, and that's fine, but they're, they're willing to drive the market that way and take their losses for it as opposed to you know, letting, you know, market demands meet up yeah. more. I think for a long time, Apple, I mean, going back to kind of the, the premise of this, of like finding a portable productivity machine for you is like, for the longest time, Apple was the answer. The MacBook Air was the answer for like five or six years. Yeah. And then they started going down this route with the, the Touch Bar MacBook Pro, the Mac, the regular MacBook with no... Just MacBook. Yeah. Do they even make MacBooks MacBooks anymore? Yeah. So there is the MacBook now, and it's the like super thin, single port, single USB C port. Maybe has two. It might have two. I was Um, saying one port's pretty slim, even by Apple. I'm pretty sure it has a single USB port and a headphone jack. That's it. It's like 12 inch screen, and it's a really beautiful device, but it's super underpowered. Like your phone is faster than it. You know, like, <laughs> um, and it's got a beautiful screen, whatever. It's the, probably the slimmest bezels, you know, as far as like, you know, small footprint laptop that they have for the screen size, but it's severely underpowered. It's using like, not only using like Intel's like 
low power processors, but that's using like two year old low power processors. You know, their MacBook Air and their MacBook Pro are using two one to two year old, you know, processors. And and this last this most recent processor upgrade between the seventh gen and the eighth gen for Intel was probably the biggest leap in power since for like five years, something like that. Mm. And the, I mean, the eighth gen processors have been in other laptops for eight months now. And no, no new announcements. They've from had Apple, no six. I don't know how many. They've had plenty of opportunities, you know, Apple events a lot since then, and none of them have really touched on the Mac. The Do you think that's because the uh, the Mac uh, part of Apple's business isn't really a priority right now? I think that's a big part. I think it's not a priority. I don't think it makes sense for them because again like you can coast like again they were the best answer for mobile productivity for a long time the apple tax was justifiable for a very long time right and now it's not and they're coasting on what they had now how long can they coast on that i mean you talk to some people especially people that aren't educated in in technology like they can probably coast a while, honestly. <laughs> like, they've they've built their <laughs> reputation that they can. It set took high. it took the it took four years of complaining about the Mac Pro for them to finally say, "Hey, we're going to come out with a new Mac Pro." Now, again, that's the desktop productivity stuff, but um, just to give you an idea of how long they can coast on goodwill. Yeah, um, especially in an area you're talking about the Mac Pro, which is like very high end. Yeah, you know. People that spend a lot of money on computers and generally like are updating more yeah. frequently to have the best power. Um, so I mean, they they still have a lot of strengths. Um, you know, even in their software suite, they have strengths um, as far as like the efficiencies of some of the software. Like we were saying, the software integration with the hardware you, that's that exists on their on their Mac OS side too, not just on the phone. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So for certain applications, video editing, for example, there's people who swear by their Final Cut program because it will render a project faster than a. So see, I've I've I used to be a Final Cut. Now this was like eight years ago. Like that's where I learned to video edit. Uh, but more and more, the more people I've looked at, many more people use the Adobe Suite these days, though. And part of that is because. Because Mac has abandoned their pro market so much in the desktop and laptops, uh, a lot of people fell away. And I think also, it's just it's that much more accessible because you could start Premiere with a six hundred dollar laptop if you wanted to. You know, you could run Premiere and start rendering. Rendering times are it would suck. Forever, but it would. (laughs) But the cheapest, if you wanted to go Final Cut Pro, Mm -hmm. you're looking at. I don't know. The cheapest MacBook you can get is like a thousand dollars, and that thousand dollar lap MacBook is going to take seventeen times as long as the six hundred dollar <laughs> PC, even with the Final Cut kind of efficiencies. You know, because again, it's like a tiny little like it's all it's less than your phone, less power than your phone again. So, um, and, and so as much as again, like I said, I think the Mac tax, the Apple tax, whatever you want to call it, the and that's. For, for those of you not aware of what that means, is like Apple has always been spec for spec comparison to another company. They've always been more money. But most of that comes down to they are very good at integration with their software. They're very good at like build quality. Those things last forever. 
physically they last forever maybe not performance wise um yeah they i mean we had the whole iphone you know slowing down processes after so many years to extend battery life without telling people so they felt that their iphones broke every time a new one came out yeah that was a bit of a you know i I think apple there was a time when that tax was just that the apple tax was just filed the the spec for spec her price point was justifiable from Apple, I think, for a long time. I mean, I had a MacBook Pro in college, and it was that 15-inch one, which I ended up hating lugging around, but it lasted all through college and then some. Yeah. When I had friends with which, PCs... Which, I mean, I was going to say, four years is still considered a long lifespan yeah. for a laptop. Yeah. I'd have friends with PCs that, you know, again, when we started, theirs was, you know, equivalent on performance like spec sheets but there's they upgraded two or three times because they just bogged down or they broke or like they just didn't last you know um and nowadays like that's still that is still something that justifiable the way you can justify the apple tax that still exists but now there's also they're not keeping up with the specs at all you know it's now you can't even compare an apple you can't even compare a MacBook Pro to a Dell anymore because Dell doesn't sell those old processes, processors anymore. They don't sell a machine that slow anymore. So it's like, not only is it the same price it's or cheaper, but it's like twice as fast, three times as fast. Now you're talking about like base model Apple products. Now what do you say about like when people, you know, if you, you're putting in more money in the, like the high-end ones... The high-end ones... Um, like if you're going to spend $3,000 on a laptop. You spend $3,000 on, on a MacBook Pro, and it's... Again, you're still looking... If you spent $3,000 on a MacBook Pro, and you spent $3,000 on... Um, I don't know I what, assume at this point you're probably diving into a gaming laptop. At this point you're looking at a gaming laptop, yeah. Yeah. You spend $3,000 on a MacBook Pro, you spend... I think you can only spend up to, let's say, $2,500 on like a Razer... Uh, the new Razer Stealth, I think it's called. And you're looking at their Apple with like an old, I think you can get them quad core now, an old quad core i7 from like a year and a half ago. The Razer's got a six core, um, and, and most productivity software actually takes advantage of cores. Gaming is another matter. Right. But. Core count matters when it comes to video editing. Core count matters when it comes to, you know, uh, multitasking, stuff like that. So six core, faster, every core is faster than every one of the four cores. You know, it's it's not equipment. You're probably getting double the storage on the... Now, well, the storage, I don't know. The nice thing about Apple is, is they do have, especially versus like the gaming boutique types of places like Razer. Razer probably has like two or three tiers and that's it mm-hmm. and there's not much customization whereas Apple you can go to because they produce on such a large scale you can go into an Apple store or go online and be you, like you can pick whatever you want you, you know yeah you can say I want you can pick exactly what you want it's not like well if you get 8 gigs of RAM you can only get 256 gigs of storage it's like you can get you. there's all kinds of combinations on Apple right. so that that, I guess in, in one regard, that's a benefit as well. Um, now, now we were just talking about gaming. Is Apple ever going to fix its relationship to PC gaming? I don't think so. I mean, 
I remember when PUBG came out and Sam Sheffer, the YouTuber, was like, oh, I've figured out how to play PUBG on my Mac. I just have to, you know, play it remotely from a PC right. through a browser window. It's right. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, not even Blizzard. Blizzard has always developed, co-developed on Apple and PC. Yeah. Since since they've existed. Yeah. Can you get Overwatch on, the, on Mac? I don't know. I don't own a Mac. You cannot get Overwatch on Mac. Oh, snap. <laughs> at least as far as I know. I mean, maybe should I Google it so I'm not telling you bad bad. Yeah, info. yeah. We should probably uh, <laughs> fact check here. If you if you can, it was like a long time later. Let's see. Well, in 2017, they said it might come to Mac. <laughs> So, <laughs> but that game's been out for a couple of years now. Game came out uh, beginning no, we, of seventeen. We, we just we just hit the two year anniversary. Was it two year anniversary? Yeah, because I remember I missed the first year anniversary. Okay, so if we just hit the first year anniversary, this article nope. is from November seventeen. So that was a year and a half after it was released. Yeah, and they said someone found a Mac installer, but whatever it installs isn't playable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, and that's from Polygon. Shout out to Polygon. Um, I didn't do that research, but um, really, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if the one of the stalwart Mac developers has given up, I, I don't know. Yeah, that ever, doesn't that doesn't bode well. I, I mean, the what's going to happen? the The best case for gaming on a Mac right now is playing iOS apps on a Mac. I was about to say the iPhone. Is still because the premium mobile space right now. Android's catching up quite a bit. Yeah, things still come out on iOS first. Yeah, they are quickly they're quickly approaching iOS apps running on Mac OS. So that's so are they going to be competing with the Chromebooks? Essentially, <laughs> yeah, it, they're almost kind of doing you know in a way they're doing a. You know they're going for like the top tier of the market hardware wise, like the Surface books, or I guess maybe the Pixel, the Pixel book as well. But then they're also doing um, a merging of desktop OS and iOS. Um, I mean, it worked for Nintendo with the Switch. It did. They, uh, like I, I want to say it was even a year before the Switch came out. Uh, Nintendo decided to merge their handheld and uh, console gaming departments yeah so that they could you know work together and now that you know basically i mean i guess 3ds still exists but like it shouldn't yeah exactly <laughs> i mean that i mean that's the been the place that nintendo's always shine isn't handhelds it's like why have a crappy console and like a really good handheld when you can just make one device that you yeah. know you know everyone who wants a nintendo fix can get it yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, you're an owner of a Switch, and you seem you've never really been much of a handheld guy as long no, as I've known you. Um, and you dig it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what it came down to is, is I travel a lot for work. I wanted to do something gaming related, like when I'm in a hotel on my own in some random city in the country. So, um, do I want to buy a $2,500 gaming laptop? That's or, really big, and you it's have to really pull big out all the time and, and like, chunky. Yeah. And, or do I want to buy a $300 Switch, which admittedly, like, okay, it's 720p, 30 frames per second, whatever, but it's perfectly 30 frames per second. And, like, I mean, it, we, we've played Fortnite we together, played Fortnite cross-platform, together. 
And, yeah. I mean, we're, we're comparable. You know, with, yeah. you know, you can play it on the Switch. It's amazing. And you don't have that much of a disadvantage to the yeah. PC people. Yeah. Except for, you know, keyboard mouse. Yeah, exactly. So, but since shotguns are like the only thing that's good for Fortnite <laughs> anyways, who cares, right? Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. PUBG would be a different matter probably on a Switch. I still want them to do it. I, but I hope it's like the mobile version. <laughs> the, I've been, you've gotten me into the mobile version a bit, and it's yeah. actually pretty fun. Yeah. I'm not a big uh, mobile gamer, like uh, at least with cell phones. Oh, me neither. Like, uh, it, it took that game to get me into. I mean, other than like you know the little pickup puzzle games. Hey, all those adventure when it's just like this this snowboarder like just going down the yeah, that's fun. That's a good one. That's a good soundtrack. That's a good one. I think they're making a sequel. But like actual like FPS type controls on a touchscreen with no physical buttons or sticks was a really hard sell for me, but. Uh, well, PUBG, I think, does a pretty good job. Uh, yeah. Part of it is the flexibility of the controls. Like you can make it what you want. Yeah, it took a while, it took a few rounds of customization. Yeah. for me to not be absolutely horrible at it. Yeah, so we've gotten a little bit off track. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a Pittsburgh podcast. I don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, it's just a very interesting space. Technology is in a very interesting place right now with convergence of mobile because there's I mean the development is happening in the mobile space um, and so you see Chrome adding apps from their mobile app you know from Android you see iOS or Mac OS starting to say hey we're going to be able to run iOS apps and you know obviously Microsoft doesn't have an answer to that since there's no more Windows phone and nobody develops Universal Windows apps anymore, but well, I mean, it will say that. So I think Microsoft, within a few years, they are going to move back in the mobile space. I think so too. And one of the key factors with that, um, they 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 officially decide like they Windows is not their only focus. They're yeah. gonna, they're going to kind of split things up. They've been moving the hardware, the service. So I think if they do anything, we're going to see some version of like a Surface Phone. That uh, will, but I think it'll I don't, be running Android. I I think I think it'd be dumb if like it, it's competitive enough between Android and iOS to try to be the third wheel in that. Yeah, it's like you know the I Green mean, Party trying to pull it off, and you know. Yeah, right now you can buy. I can tell you what they're called, but there's a couple of two in ones and laptops that are running Windows, full Windows 10, on the same processors that are in phones, like a Snapdragon type processor. Now, they're kind of expensive for what they get, but the intent there, well, right now they say, okay, this is going to get way more better battery life than on an Intel processor because Snapdragon is very good at low power states and stuff like that. Um, but the other thing about that is to get full Windows 10 running on those processors, they had to do all kinds of fancy tech stuff that I'm not super well versed in, but that enables legacy Windows apps to run on a more modern mobile processor. Which means maybe we can get some which of these legacy mobile apps in a windowed experience on Android. On an Android phone. Which would solve the biggest problem with Android tablets being productivity machines. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So that would be really interesting. I don't. I mean, graphic type stuff, Yeah. for right now, it's my understanding the best ones that work through that emulation process are your standard desktop productivity apps. Uh, which kind of makes sense. They're kind of the least, I don't know, they're, 
they're the least demanding. Yeah. Um, as far as anything graphical, graphically intensive, I'm not sure that's quite there yet. Yeah, um, but I don't think anyone's really pretending that you're going to be able to run a game PC on a Snapdragon. No, like, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's like there's there's this mix between like things that you actually. I mean, that's the whole premise of the Chromebook is like there are things that you need a high end computer for. Yeah, you know, video editing, playing games. You know, you know, it's a crazy multitasking. But then everything else, like you can basically do through a browser, and even yeah. Chrome had to backtrack on that. And like when I remember when I first bought a Chromebook, it didn't even have any kind of ability to have any windowed task. It had no backdrop. Yeah, it was literally a Chrome browser. Yeah, that you know you could you know install some like online apps in and stuff like that and use it. But it was basically a browser in a box, but it booted up super fast and like I could do like almost everything. Yeah, like, I don't even think I had a secondary computer. Or a really good phone at the time, like I could watch, like I could watch Netflix on it. Like uh, I could connect it to, a, you know, a monitor to do that. I could use Google Docs and stuff for yeah. school projects. Uh, you know, it was one of those things. Like if what you need is the ninety percent of the products that you can do it, and then that, it was a good fit and it was cheap. Yeah, and and from like I, I mean, if I didn't have, if I had, to, if my Surface died right now. What would I get? Because right now, like I said, they haven't come out with something similar to this since. Uh, the closest thing is that Samsung Galaxy, which is another Windows 10 device. That's probably what I would get. But it would be a toss-up between that and like a Samsung Chromebook. Because of, you know, like you said, there's so much stuff you can do on that. And Chrome has come a long way where a lot of the reasons I needed Windows in the first place, you can now do through Chrome. I still think within like that like professional sphere though, Windows is still the dominant task force it though. Definitely and there is. are a few things like if you need a specific program or you need certain access to certain things, yeah, you're gonna be stuck with having yeah. to, you know get yeah. Microsoft. But that, that gap is closing. Yeah. Like soon that's not gonna be as much of a thing. And I think Microsoft's latest moves recognize that they're like, Oh, we don't have we are not guaranteed this market yeah. anymore at all. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, Rob, what you drinking there? I'm drinking Mixed Media, a Vino-esque ale. All right, time for a short review. What do you think of it? It's beer. Oh, is that is that it? Is that, that what we're going with? Um, Cause yeah. Because it's, it's, it's not just beer, is it? Well, no, technically it's not just beer. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Vino-esque. Vino-esque. Is what uh, the bottle says. Vino is uh, probably Italian for vine. Or like... Or wine. Yeah, Latin for wine. Latin for wine. Yeah, you know. Uh, so basically, they it's like a it's like a grape beer, but not but not quite like a fruit beer. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the bottle right now, and uh, from what I can put together, they use like some some element of, of the wine process. I'm thinking it's maybe like the leftovers, but they use that in the wort of the yeah. beer. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it's honestly, it's not too bad. Like, you're not a wine drinker. I drink everything. But uh, it's like the middle taste of it is like the sweetness of wine. But yeah. like, it's not as sweet as like sweet wine. No. It's really not even as sweet as sweet beer. Like in the summer, you get all these like fruit right. nonsense. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's uh, not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, that I've, sounds, te- that's not, that, no, I mean, that doesn't even really sum it up. very, right? I mean, like. It's a, it's a bit of an understatement. Uh, would you get it again? I think it would require 
a very specific set of circumstances. Like, I think an aspect of it is, like, the novelty yeah. that we're talking right now. Yeah. Um, because I think... Because, like, when I would drink, want to drink this kind of thing is, like, a nice summer day, like, outside, um, probably with food. So, for that, you know, I, I think being able to talk about it with someone is, like, half the point. Yeah, I think um, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, um, it's definitely like a noble experiment type thing, but would this be a constant in my roster of uh, of beers? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's spot on. Um, maybe if you're a really big wine drinker, I mean, are there are there summer wines? I guess like sangria maybe is like a more summery. Well, that th- that's not really wine, but yeah, it's a bit of a. I mean, it's like cock. Are there pitcher level cocktail? I don't we know. have summer beers. Are there summer wines? I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure there's like weekly, like you know, <laughs> you can snob it out with wine, man. Like Probably. wine snobbery is the oldest form of alcohol snobbery. But I was just saying, like, uh, you know, certain activities I feel, like, certain summer activities I feel like warrant a beer. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know. Oh, like absolutely. After some tense yard work or something, after some yeah, no, no one's cracking the pinot you know? after you and know so a ball game. If you're a wine drinker who also, you know, is okay with beer, likes beer, mm-hmm. this might be the perfect drink for you in those circumstances. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a niche, a niche audience for. Uh, is for it beer? enough for Dogfish Head to bring it back? Who knows? I mean, they didn't even just say seasonal. They're like occasionally seasonal when yeah. available. So like. <laughs> It seems super, uh, super ambivalent about when it will be come back around. But I, honestly, like I dig it. Yes, yeah. like I said, it's not, it's not going to be a standard. But uh, as someone that enjoys a good red every now and then, it's a, it's an interesting experiment to drink that isn't as weird as it sounds. It's also it's definitely um, solidly a beer. It's also a seven point five percent, which it doesn't taste like seven point five percent. No, like no. I think it hides that very well. If if you got, if if you care about that, yeah. Um, well, you know, sometimes you got to min max the results, man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, mixed media, vino esque ale by uh, Dogfish Head. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, yeah, and this has been the Pittsburgh Podcast. Drink up, everybody. <laughs>